the hospitality is always impeccable when you're around Brother and Sister Neal, their love for the ministry, and that is manifested in the church that they pastor as well. Thank you for all your kindness, your extreme concern about my comfort and well-being while here has been just remarkable. I thank you for all of your kindness. Second Kings chapter 4 and verse number 8 is where we will preach this morning. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 4, verse number 8. And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman. And she constrained him to eat bread. Now my experience with the ministry is, the prophets, it doesn't take a whole lot of constraining to get them to eat a biscuit. The Bible said she constrained him to eat bread. And it was so that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is a holy man of God which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber. Everybody say, a little chamber. I pray thee on the wall, and let us set for him there a table, a bed, a table, and a stool. And a candlestick. And it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. And it fell on the day that he came thither and he turned into the chamber and lay there. And he said to Gehazi his servant, Call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldest thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among mine own people. And he said, What then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Verily, she hath no child, and her husband is old. And he said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door. And he said, About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, Nay, my Lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid. Let me give commentary on that selection of verse 16. In the Old Testament, for a woman not to have a child was extreme humiliation and reproach. It was totally embarrassing to her for her not to be able to give birth to a child. And when the prophet said, Nine months from now, you're going to be holding a baby. It was so intensely emotional and so deep in her heart and spirit. Basically, I think what she was saying is, man of God, don't tease me like this. This is not a very good joke. I'm very sensitive about this subject. If this is not going to happen, then please don't make me believe something is going to transpire that is so essential and so deep in my spirit that you would be light about it. In other words, she said, Don't lie unto me. Verse 17, And the woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elisha had said unto her according to the time of life. I would just make one commentary remark before I get into the prepared message. God does a lot of things, even supernaturally, that are sometimes on a time schedule. 
I'm going to give you this answer to your greatest prayer, but it's going to take nine months before you get the answer. But you're going to know that what I have spoken is true. I want you to notice the Bible said that she told her husband, let's build for this prophet a little chamber. Let's, let's add on to our house here what you might call an evangelist quarters or a prophet's chamber. And the Bible was very specific when it said, let's prepare him a little chamber. I want to preach to you this morning for a few minutes. And maybe it is prophetically speaking. Because I come to you with no knowledge of your congregation. Your bishop has not told me what to preach. I've only sought the Lord as to what might be the most applicable, pertinent, and profitable for all of you that are here today. I don't want you just to hear a sermon. I want you to get something from God. I want you to be blessed by the Word of the Lord this morning. And so I will preach. Your miracle is in your add-on. Your miracle is in your add-on. How amazing that you have just added on to your church. I didn't select the message today knowing that you had added on. I had already felt what I would preach before the bishop told me about the beautiful facelift to your building, and it is absolutely remarkable. I'm, I'm wondering, I'm believing and anticipating that that is going to be part of your miracle. That really is not all of the miracle. It is the first fruit of your miracle that God wants to work for you. Turn around before you sit down and tell somebody your miracle is in your add-on. God bless you, and you may be seated. Now, this is what I sense in the Spirit with my finger on the pulse of the apostolic church. In a spiritual climate characterized by either status quo or subtraction, I'm talking about the consecration and commitment of Christians today, most Christians are in a rut of status quo, meaning they're very pleased to stay right where they are. They're satisfied with the level of spirituality they have attained. Or they are in a time of subtraction where they are drawing back from their commitment to God, lessening their commitment to the church and to the things of God. With that in mind, it is my opinion and conviction that the Spirit of God is highly responsive to acknowledge to applaud and to award the slightest and smallest of spiritual addition. Too many have subverted the message of the old-time favorite gospel song. And I'm so glad you didn't sing it this morning. Because I was going to use it in somewhat of a different style than what you would have been singing. I mean, remember, I shall not be, I shall not be moved. Remember that? I shall not be, I shall not be moved. I'm afraid that too many of our Christians in this hour have subverted the message of that old time favorite gospel song. And the theme of their spirituality is, I shall not be moved. Their preferred posture is to sit on the premises 
instead of standing on the promises. The Bible said in Matthew 25 and 14 that the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling. The kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling. In other words, he is moving. He is mobile. He is advancing. He is not sitting down. He is not complacent. He is in the process of going from point A to point B. I wish all of us would acknowledge to truly be the people of God. We're to be led of the Spirit. And we're supposed to be moving on in our walk with God. We're supposed to be advancing in our walk with the Lord. I felt nudged of the Spirit that as we're still in the infancy. Matter of fact, today is February the 1st. The new year is still somewhat in an infantile situation. And as we look at the approaching of our new year, I think the greatest dedication all of us as children of God can make would be to make up our minds that we're going to add on to our spiritual houses. Too many feel like their house is complete and they're living in convenience and the comfort of what they have built through the years. But I want to challenge you that God wants us to add on. And in so doing, we will make room for the miracle each of us individually and uniquely have need of. She would never have held that boy had she not added on a little chamber to her house. May I say it like this? If you were going to have what you want, doing what you're doing, being what you're being, you'd have it right now. But evidently, there's some tweaking that needs to take place. There's some modifications. There's some improvements in my spiritual relationship with God. The Bible said that Samuel grew on. It said David went on. And Paul said, let us go on. The challenge of the church is to be moving. We're to be advancing. We should not be in God where we were last year. We should not be living in the spiritual house that we built five years ago. We need a brand new addition onto our spiritual house just like you put on to the physical house so that you can bring the presence and power of God. With the church shout Amen. Notice with me, 2 Peter chapter 1 and 5. And as I read this, I will read a statement and I want you to shout, add on. Your part will be, add on. Ready? Alright? And the Bible said, and beside this, I pause to tell you, there's more than what you've got. He said, there's something beside this. I don't care how long you've had the Holy Ghost. I don't care how long you've read your Bible. There's stuff in that book yet to be revealed. There's places yet in the Spirit to go to. We have not had our greatest church service. We have not received our greatest miracle. We don't know our greatest revelation. We have not seen our greatest revival. He said, and beside this, given all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge. Continue. And to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. I think we got a whole lot of adding on to do. 
add on, add on. And then the thank you, that's the end of, of, the, of the response. For if these things be in you. The Bible said, let's go back there to where we were just then. For if these things be in you. In other words, if you have truly added on and abound in you, they will make you so that you will neither be barren and you will not be unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The reason folks are barren spiritually, un unfruitful spiritually, is because they have not added on. What I'm going to preach to you today is this. If you believe, add repentance. If you repent, add baptism in Jesus' name. If you've been baptized in Jesus' name, add the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues. If you receive the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues, add a committed life of dedication unto the Lord. If you're dedicated unto the Lord, add paying your tithes. If you come to church on Sunday morning, add Sunday night. If you come Sunday night, add midweek. If you've given some of your life to God, add all of it and give it all to God. Add on. Add on. Notice, she accepted the challenge and distinguished herself by the uncommon characteristic of being willing to come out of her comfort zone and out of what she thought was a completed house. Now I want to encourage you today to understand it was not a gigantic undertaking. It wasn't a mission of monstrous proportion. I will drive home the fact that the Bible said a little, add a little, add a little, add a little. How can a little be so impactful? A little is a lot when everybody else is doing nothing. If you'll do a little more for Him, you'll get a whole lot more from Him. We sing all the time, more of you, more of you. I've had all, but what I want or need is more of you. i got a revelation for you. We're not going to get more of Him until we give Him more of us. The need of the hour is to give more of ourselves to Him. She said, let us add a little chamber. Now here's what I want you to notice this too. I want you to re respond again. Your part this time will be for Him. Ready? A little chamber. A bed, a table, a stool, a candlestick. And God is just like this prophet. He likes it when you add a little and it's dedicated for Him. You're doing it just for Him. I was preaching a youth camp years ago in Illinois. And I walked up as my custom is and said, Praise the Lord, church. And about six, seven hundred young people shouted, Praise the Lord! And then all of a sudden I heard it again, Praise the Lord! And I thought, there must be a bad echo in this building. Let's try this again. So I said, Praise the Lord, church! And they said, Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! So I turned around the leadership and I said, Am I missing something here? Uh, what's going on? I've never seen this before. They said, Oh, it's simple. The first time they said, Praise the Lord, was because you asked them. The second time they said, Praise the Lord, is because they wanted to. God wants us to do more than what somebody asks us to do. He wants us to do more than what somebody makes us do. 
He wants us to do more than what the rules say we have to do. He wants somebody to come to church with an overflowing heart that says, I'm doing this not because somebody's asking me, not because somebody's making me. I'm just doing it for Him. I, I came to praise Him. I'm going to clap my hands for Him. I'm going to lift my voice for Him. I'm going to give Him praise. Somebody shout hallelujah. Amen. I'm afraid that some of our churches are becoming so sinner friendly they, they have, they're no longer God friendly. I've been in Pentecost long enough. No, we swing the pendulum from one extreme to the other. Now, sinner friendly means that we can welcome non-Pentecostals to our church. They will not be offended. They will not be abused. They will not be stared at. They will not be humiliated. They will be made to feel welcome, even though they may not be Pentecostal, so to speak. Can the church say amen? We welcome everybody regardless of their background or their philosophy or, or their nativity or anything about the churches where everybody is welcome. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. All people. He said in the last days He'd pour His Spirit out on all flesh. And that's right now. However, I think when our churches have exercised excellence in sinner-friendly host at the door, hostesses, gifts to them, following up, making them feel welcome, shaking their hands, sitting beside them, making sure that they're comfortable. I think sometimes we folks forget what it's like to be a guest. Most of you have been in the church so long, you don't know what it's like to be a guest. I am a, continually a guest. Traveling and preaching, I'm continually a guest. But by now, a, a lot of folks, it's not really that I'm a guest. They know me by a picture or they know me by... YouTube, or they know me by something they've seen somewhere. They come up, quote sermons that I've preached years ago that I've almost forgotten, and they, they know me like that. So I, I, to say I'm a guest really is not fair because when I walk in, they know that who I am to some extent. Can you imagine walking into a church where nobody knows you and you just kind of walk in and nobody shakes your hand and nobody says, come sit by me. Uh, we're glad you're here today. I mean, if I walk in, I like to be acknowledged. I, I wouldn't want to just sit somewhere, especially at a Pentecostal church. Most of the guests in Raleigh, they want to sit near the door because they want to get out of there if it gets too hot. You know, When the Spirit gets to moving, the thing gets to popping, they might think, I may need to leave here. So they want to sit near the door. But we, we really worked at making our guests feel at home, making them welcome. And our church has done a great job. Give yourselves a hand. We've come a long way in welcoming our guests. And we're going to do better. And we're going to work at it harder. Amen. However, we want guests to feel comfortable. We want guests to like what we're doing. But above and beyond what our guests think about us, we must never lose sight of the fact we want God to like what we're doing. I need God to like the way we're having church. I like God to like the way we're singing, the way we're praying, the way we're preaching. I'm not here just to please people. I want God to say, that's the kind of preaching I like. That's the kind of worship I like. We need the favor of God. So she said, let's add this little chamber on. And in so doing, in nine months, she had a miraculous son. A son she never would have held. A son she never would have had had she not built a little ad on to her house 
Later on, when the boy was a lad, he was in the field working with his father, and he screamed, My head, my head. And the father said, Send him to his mother. He had learned a little something about his wife. The boy was there because of the perception of the mother. The mother said, I perceive that if we'll do something to accommodate this man of God, that miracles we want will happen. So when the boy went down with his apparent sunstroke, the father said, Take him to his mother. His mother is really why he's here. His mother is why he will stay here. I want to preach a minute about the church. The mother of us all. Don't ever forget where you got what you got. And don't ever forget how you're going to keep what you got. It's to stay close to your mother. The church is the mother of us all. And so the boy died. And she took that boy and she laid him on the bed of the man of God where in that little chamber that she had built. And her boy was restored back to life. If you don't add on, you won't have anywhere to take your crisis. You won't have anywhere to take your challenges of life. When things get tough, the place you're going to have to take your your situations is into that little add-on that you made for the man of God. Now I want you to notice she told her husband, he's coming by here all the time. He just passes by here all the time. we got to do something to stop him. It's not enough that he comes by here. We want him to stop here. So she made arrangements. She made preparations. She made enticements. And it produced a field of spiritual magnetism. She said, I'm literally going to chart the course of this man of God. If he comes anywhere around here, he's going to remember this nice bed. He's going to remember this good bread. He's going to remember this little add-on that's strictly for him. We did this for him. How many have ever been to a Christmas party? Maybe they just do this down south around Christmas time. I've been to Christmas parties and folks come in that you weren't expected to be there. Maybe somebody didn't come that you thought was going to come. And I've seen people pull out the old eraser and rub one man's name out and ride somebody else's in. They didn't know they were coming. They're trying to cover. You know, oh, I didn't know he was going to be here. Let me. Let me he's not here. Let me, let's change this. I want you to know there was no changing going on. That place was made for the man of God. It it wasn't second. God don't want to be second choice. Matter of fact, let me preach to you right now. God is not the red cross. Some folks use God as the red cross. You remember the red cross here? You know what this? I forget sometimes. I'm not exactly in my culture altogether. You may not know what the red cross is. The red cross is called in in disaster and tragedy. In terrible situations. Some people view God like the Red Cross. The only time they call Him in is a national disaster. The only time they think about praying is when somebody's about to die. I wish the church would let our guests know today that God's not only good in the tough times, He's good in the good times. That it's not only right to serve God when everything's bad, it's not just right to pray when you're in trouble. But I'd like for somebody to stand, clap your hands, and say, I ain't got no trouble. But God is still worthy of my praise this morning. Everything's going all right with me right now. I'm going to praise Him. I've taught our church at home that if you will praise Him in the same intensity that you pursue Him when you're in need, 
the time you have need will become less and less. Now, I'm a testimony to that. I know I don't look a day over 64, but I'm 65. And I rarely in my whole life, well, I'm just going to say it like this, I don't re remember ever telling God I needed money. For me. For me. I've, I've never told God I'm hungry and I sure would like to have something to eat. Am I the only one? I've never prayed, God, I wish you'd give me something to eat. And I'm not talking about last year or last five years. I'm talking about my life. The book says, one writer said, I've been young and now I'm old. But I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. Now, i got a little interpretation of that verse I hadn't seen just recently. Let me share it with you, and I'll quickly move on. You know, the Bible said, I've been young, now I'm old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed. I used to think that was talking about the seed of God, but I think it's talking about the seed of the righteous. What means is, if I will live for God and I'll serve God, my kids won't be begging for bread either. That God will bless them as He has blessed me, and He will be with them like He has been with me. I've never had to pray for those kind of things. But I have praised Him with an intensity. Praise Him like you're in trouble. Praise Him like you're in a crisis. Praise Him like things are terrible when really they're going great. And if you'll learn how to do that, your good days will far outweigh your bad days. She said, when I get through designing this little chamber here, I'm going to tell you what, he won't come anywhere around here without coming here. <laughs> David picked that thought up too in Psalm 65 and 1 when he said, Praise waiteth for thee, O God, in Zion. Now you go where you want to go, God. And you stay where you want to stay, God. I just thought I'd tell you, we got some hallelujahs over here. I just thought I'd tell you we got some hand clapping over here. I just thought I'd tell you we got some folks that ain't ashamed to dance for you over here. Now you go to church wherever you want to go, but there's praise waiting on you over here. Our goal is this, that if God comes anywhere around Fort McMurray, if He's going to pass through Fort McMurray on a Sunday morning, I want God to say, that's where I'm going. I'm going to the top. Because I know there's people there that are going to praise me. There's people there that are going to welcome me. There's people there that are going to bless my name. We can chart the course of the Spirit. There's no mistake why God's here this morning. The Bible said He inhabits the praises of His people. Now you may not like what just happened, but book tells me God likes it. And so who am I going to try to please? You or Him? 
I want you to like us, but I'm going to tell you, when it comes between you and Him, I choose Him. Because you can't save me. You can't heal me. You can't deliver me. You can't bless me. You can't get me out of hell. You can't put me into heaven. So my priority is going to be, what does He like? One of the most incredible passages of Scripture in the Bible I will share with you now to challenge this church. And that verse is Mark 11 and 11. Look at this. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. The name of our church is the Temple of Pentecost. We call it the top. This is the tabernacle of praise. You could call this the top. We advertise in our city, meet me at the top. My bumper sticker, my, my North Carolina specialized tag says, See you at top. See you at top. When I drive in the city, I'm telling everybody, I want to see you at the Temple of Pentecost. Of course, that also means I want to see you in heaven, right? We'll see you in heaven, top. So Jesus went into the temple, and the Bible said, when he had looked round about upon all things, now the even time was come, he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. One of the most strange passages of Scripture in the Bible. One that I don't want to ever happen at the temple of Pentecost. Jesus came to church. He walked around. He looked at everything. And everybody. And then the Bible said, and Jesus said, well, he say nothing. He just left. Now, I would really hate for Jesus to come to the church I pastor and walk in and look around and not say anything and not do anything. Not heal anybody. Not bless anybody. Not deliver anybody. Not help anybody. Not say anything at all. And just walk out. I would never want that to happen at the church I pastor. How about at the tabernacle of praise? I would never want Jesus to walk in here and, and just look around and, and then walk out. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us why he did that. It doesn't tell us, was he offended at what he saw? Or was he offended at what he didn't see? It doesn't tell us why he left. Good or bad. It just says, he looked and he left. But I have a clue that I'm going to share with you. My clue is in where he went. When he left the temple, he went, to, he went two miles east of Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives to a place called Bethany. Bethany, if you know your Bible, is a very special place because Bethany was the home of three of his best friends. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived in Bethany. 
It's as if Jesus said, I don't have any friends in here. And I can't stay where my friends are not. So I know where my friends are. I'm going to go be with my friends. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Mary represents worshipers. Martha represents workers. Lazarus represents witnesses. And Jesus will never stay in a church where there are not worshipers, workers, and witnesses. If we want Him to stay in our church, we're going to have to have worshipers, workers, and witnesses. Clap your hands if you want Him to stay. Everybody say a little bit. Add on just a little. Add on just a little. Wherever you are, just add on just a little. I'm not asking for radical movement in your life this morning. Just a little movement. If you sit in the back, come to the front. I'm not talking about right now. If you sit in the back, move up front. See, we've got empty seats up here. If this was a rock concert, they'd be full. If this was some type of drama in the world, be full. If it was a Super Bowl, heaven forbid, that might be empty because we couldn't afford whatever it cost. But these seats are free. And there's no higher cost to sit beside the bishop's wife than there is on the back row. They're the same price. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Matter of fact, I took my family to Disney World years ago, and my uh, we won't want to see that electronic parade. My grandkids are real little. And so we got there real early that afternoon so we could get the kids a good place to see the electronic parade. Anybody here ever seen the electronic parade? Phenomenal. Save you money and go. It's worth it. It's, it's a beautiful trip. So we get on the side of the street. I mean, the curb's right, just right here. And we get there maybe an hour, hour and a half early so the little kids, our grandkids, can see. And we're there an hour, hour and a half early. And when it's time for the parade to start, from nowhere, these people come and they, they bring chairs right in front of us. They put that big old head right in front of me. And I'm like, never mind us. We've just been here an hour and a half waiting. But you know what? I've never seen that happen at church. <laughs> I've never seen anybody say, excuse me, but that's my seat on the front row. I'm getting up here close. I want a good seat here today because something wonderful is going to happen. Turn around somebody and say, you need to get excited about church. I don't like to preach to people that wish they, that make me think they wish it was over. I don't mean to be ugly here, and I, I, might, I, I say it at home, but I probably could. If you don't want to be here, you'd do God and me, me and all of us, everybody a favor of not coming. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't ever like to have a guest in my house act like they don't want to be there. How do you think Jesus feels when folks sit in church act like they How much longer? I got <laughs> How much longer? Not only that, sports fans love overtime. Man, they love it when a ball game goes into overtime. What if we go into overtime this morning? We're not going to because I'm not going to preach much longer. Set your heart at ease. However, we ought to let God know, I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. 
Everybody say just a little bit. Jesus only went a stone's throw from His disciples. But it produced a prayer meeting that hell has never gotten over. He said, do you have any fish? They said, no. He said, well, then you're casting nets on the right side. I've seen those little boats that they were fishing out of. They're no wider than this platform. But over here is nothing. Emptiness. No bites. Nothing. They walk over here, drop their nets, and they start filling up with fish. Now, first of all, let me do a little teaching here. Jesus told them to drop their nets. But if you read the Bible carefully, you'll see that they dropped a net. See, they'd already cleaned them and they were lazy. They didn't want to wash them again. He said, drop your nets. They dropped one net. And he, being omniscient God, knew how many fish were under that water. And it was more than one net could hold. You're not going to be able to hold this with a net. You're going to have to have nets. When he says drop the nets, he means nets. Because he knows how many fish are there. And the Bible said their net began to break. I'm wondering how much of their harvest did they lose because they did not properly prepare. They lost a lot of fish they could have had because they didn't properly obey God. They just halfway heartedly did what He had asked them to do. And the end result was they lost a lot of fish that they could have had. I don't want to lose one that I could have. I don't want to lose one soul that God would like to put into my church. The church that I pastor. I wouldn't want to lose one soul in my city that God wants to go to heaven. We need to pack our pews. We need to fill the church. We need the parking lot overflowing. We need people lined up to be baptized. Clap your hands and shout, we want it like that. I'll talk more about that tonight. So from here to here, they had a net-breaking, ship-sinking revival. From there to there. That ain't very far, is it? Just that far. And they had a net-breaking, ship-sinking revival. And it happened because they were willing to add a little. Just a little can make a great big difference in your walk with God. In your life with God. Let's all stand, shall we? Lift your hands and tell the Lord you're ready to make a little add-on in your life. I'd like to really add a little something more in my walk with God. I need a little closer walk. You know that song, Just a Closer Walk with Thee? That might be appropriate. I just want to get a little closer than I've been. I want to do a little more than I've been doing. I want to be a little more than I've been. I want to give a little more than I've been giving. Because a little bit with God can make a big difference. My brother-in-law taught me a very valuable lesson years ago. And I had heard this word, and he exercised it. we got some French-speaking people in here. Anybody here know French? Olive Francais? All right, we do. That's too bad, because I don't know much. I may be in trouble here. The word, are you familiar with the word that sounds something like lagnap? L-A-G-N-I-A-P-P-E, lagnap. What that word meant in the French quarters of New Orleans, that's where I heard it. It means a little extra. 
a little something extra. If you buy a dozen donuts, they give you 13. I like that. <laughs> they call that a baker's dozen too, don't they? A little, a little extra. My brother-in-law taught me this years ago. He's now deceased, but he taught me this. If somebody did some work for him, and they said, you owe me $100, he'd write a check or give them cash $110 or $120. And when they looked at it, they'd always be, oh, you made a mistake. No, that's not what, I, that's not what you owe me. You don't owe me that. You made a mistake. And he said, no, I didn't make a mistake. I just want to give you a, a little extra. It blows their mind. Because most people are grappling about how much they charge them, right? They're trying to get a discount. But I've discovered, and I've used that principle for years, just a little extra. A little extra. When I need a mechanic, they seem to be able to get to my car. When I need a plumber, they seem to be able to get over to my house. Number one, they know they're going to get paid. And number two, they're going to get a little extra. A little extra. Some of you men might try that with your wife. It might help you there as well, you know. A little extra. A little something that you, you know, that she wasn't expecting. A little extra. I'm preaching now, ain't I? Finally started preaching here. I've been messing around, but I finally started preaching. A little extra. And God likes a little extra. He said, if they compel you to carry it, if you're compelled to carry it a mile, he said, go the second mile. Just do a little extra. Why don't you lift your hands and ask the Lord this morning to help you do a little extra. God, I want to do more than I have done. You're deserving of all that I am, all that I have. I want to do more for you than I've ever done. I want to pray more. I want to be more faithful. I want to give more. I want to live a more dedicated life. I want to better represent you to those that don't know you. I want to add on to my spiritual house and make room for a miracle.